Yeah, let's do it. I'm pumped. Let's let the healing begin. God help you if you use voiceover in your work, my friends. God help you. It's flaccid, sloppy writing. I don't want you to be the guy in the PG-13 movie. Everyone's really hoping makes it happen. I want you to be like the guy in the rated R movie, you know? The guy you're not sure whether or not you like yet. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I'm joined, as always, by Lee Carlo and Jeremy Fisk. Today we're going to look at Sicario, Day of the Soldado, the sequel to the uh, well-reviewed and one of our uh, favorites of the last couple of years, Sicario. Then we'll wrap it all up with our top five characters who are good at their jobs. I know who you are. You're the attorney whose family they killed. Not they. My father. And now you hunt them. Adios. There's proof the cartel helped the terrorists get to the border. President's adding drug cartels to the list of terrorist organizations. You can understand how that will expand our ability to combat them. You want to see this thing through? I'm going to have to get dirty. Dirty is exactly why you're here. You're going to help us start a war. With who? Everyone. No rules this time. Okay, guys, so Sicario Day of the Soldado, it's it's kind of an unlikely sequel. We expect sequels from kind of, I guess what I would say, like less, you know, more commercial movies. Um, but that got me thinking sort of why can't we have sequels to really good movies? Like so that would sort of make sense. It would be something that we, I think, would like. Um, and so that's my first question for you guys. And then second, is this kind of a noble pursuit? We're, 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 this is a sequel that's that's got the same writer as Sicario, but doesn't have what I who, who I would ha- identify as the chief sort of creative force behind the original Sicario, which is Denis Villeneuve. Um, and I'm wondering, is this a noble pursuit? Should should they have made this sequel? I think it's it, the part of the a big reason that we that makes a movie good is that it ends where it should and we get a resolution that we're you know even if we're not necessarily happy with but we would you know consider it the appropriate place for a movie to end and a story to end and i think that's why a sequel to good movies is sometimes inappropriate uh because the the story's been told and you know there are sure there's characters and that in movies that we love that you know we'd love to see again um and you know maybe kind of go on and see what they're up to next but i think that's part of what makes a movie great is kind of like letting your imagination explore that idea and and never actually seeing it put to fruition you know i think that's the answer i think you know a good movie is a good movie because uh, partly because of where it leaves you and it should just stay that way i think that's why we don't see them okay well i guess before you answer jeremy the one thing i would ask you then is i I read an interview with Taylor Sheridan, who's the writer of both Sicario and, and the sequel, and he he kind of he kind of 
characterize these as not being so much sequels, but like, you know, part of a series, right? So this isn't exactly a, it's, mm-hmm. it's more of like a thematic, it's the same characters, but basically it's a different movie. I mean, this might be quibbling over terms, but does that change your guys' opinion at all? Yeah, I mean, it's a, that's a different thing and that's fair. Um, and, and I'm okay with that, but you know, I, I guess I would be a whole lot more okay with it if it was the same team doing the entire project. You know, I, like, it, yeah, you know, Villeneuve was, was a, a huge factor in making the original Sicario uh, the movie that it was. But the writing in this sequel, or whatever you want to call it, was it totally paled in comparison to the original. It, you know, it was it was a bit of a mess. Um, I know we probably don't want to get too much into that yet, but, you know, if you're going to use that as your reason then why does it have to be such a you know step down yeah to dive into all that it's it is it definitely is the sequel that nobody really asked for but here we are we're doing a podcast on it because we're like hey sicario we love that movie that was a great movie i I, i'm curious where they're gonna go with this um and to piggyback onto what you said lee i think a lot of so so it gets you to the theater because you like the first movie and you're curious where they're going with it. But a lot of the success for the first movie was, you know, not only the director, but I mean, you you had, I'm pretty sure it was what, Roger Deakins who was the cinematographer for the first one. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So you got one of the best cinematographers of all time. The score was much better in the first one. It was, this one was sort of like a... Uh, uh, cut and paste of the first uh, score. I mean, it was just like all around, you just had better quality. I think Emily Blunt's character in the first one lended a lot um, to to why that w- that movie was successful. The suspense in that first one, uh, again, that's to the director's credit, how they made that sort of suspenseful out of nothing. Um, the first Sicario was interesting because it was like kind of a look behind the curtain of these top level sort of government agencies and how they operate um, within the confines of different departments. It was like that all that stuff was so interesting and in, in sort of what you came to discover about the first one. And then this one was just kind of like, all right, we had some interesting characters like Josh Brolin and of course Benicio del Toro's character. It, let's see where they went and they just couldn't land them onto a screenplay that was worthy of those characters ultimately. They also changed those characters. Like they became like especially Josh Brolin towards like the beginning of the movie was like so sinister. Like it like it and it's just totally, it was like making a spinoff because, you know, Alejandro is a cool character and, you know, you needed Josh Brolin to, uh, you know, kind of facilitate the next job. But there was no, yeah, like you said, I think cut and paste was actually a kind of a, a really appropriate term. Like the, even the way the film was shot, they, they cut and pasted mm-hmm. a couple of the night vision shots from the original in that had no place, that you know, no motivation here where they worked so well in the original. Um but you know, to I don't want to digress too much. Kind of sticking with what we were saying, and and you know the idea behind this being either a sequel or a spinoff or or um, 
you know, another episode in an episodic. Well, you know, it clearly wants to keep movies. going, right? Like, well, you guys definitely get that does. sense. Yeah, yeah, they set that up for sure. But I, I would have, I have no issue with a sequel being made to really any movie, even if we don't ask for it. You know, and I think, but I think what is bothersome is if you're going to make a sequel to a good movie, then there sh- it should be a similar effort. And this movie, I think. You can have a good effort and still have a bad movie, and I think this is not the case here. I think this movie was a was a poor effort. Yeah, I, you you all have great points, I, Jeremy. I think your your point about cut and paste is an interesting one. I, I was thinking about like when we le- when I left the movie, I saw it er, I think early last week, and I you know I wanted to make sure I had things fresh in my mind for to do this, and I, I was thinking like how how could we describe to the audience or to anybody really like the, the subtle differences in what um, uh, Stefano Salima, who's the director of this uh, did differently than, than Denny Villeneuve. Cause I, I think, you know, he's, he's channeling what, you know, what worked in Sicario. And I don't know that it's, I, I, I don't know that it's that different, but it doesn't work. Right. I mean, it doesn't work as well. And I, I wonder if you if we can talk a little bit about like what what that is. And I think it's an interesting thing to explore because in the last couple movies that we've looked at, there have been on the podcast there have been pod there have been sequels that either have been directed by the same director in the case of like Jurassic Park with uh, this this the Lost World or like Jaws 2 for example. The, the movies that were directed that were made uh, follow up to these classics that that tried to do the exact same thing capture the same mood, the same feeling, and just didn't succeed. And I'm interested if, if we can kind of get into specifics about what that was. Yeah, it's it's hard to it's it's hard to quantify, but in like a, a weird example or, or a, a small example of kind of what we're saying here is like when you have a photograph and it's a well-done photograph and it's then somebody takes their cell phone and takes a picture of that photograph it's it, it this movie is the cell phone taking a picture of the other photograph it's a picture of a picture it's doesn't it's not it doesn't come out quite as uh clean and crisp and and it doesn't work quite as well i, I don't know does that make any sense or no I think yeah, it's I a think really good makes, comparison it's a great metaphor i'm just wondering if you can if we can kind of be a little more well, specific I don't. I don't think that we need to be too hard on Salima here, the director of this one, and I. And because, yes, the 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 techniques weren't done nearly as well. Um, there's some sloppy parts of this movie, you know. Like, you know, I, I again the cut and paste method with the score and the cinematography, you know, it's all a step down. But what's I think it, what I think is really frustrating is that Taylor Sheridan, who who wrote, I think, a really smart and good screenplay for the first one with really good characters and good character motivation and, and depth to everybody, I think the script was the bigger problem with this one, I, more so than any issues, you know, that, you know, Salima uh, had trying to create a similar mood and feel as the original, I mean this. But, this, I think the script was a little bit of a uh, disaster. I mean, I, okay, I understand that, but I guess, I guess my argument against that would be that I think what's awesome about what makes Sicario an elevated movie, a transcendent movie, is that it it, it does come from Danny Villeneuve. I, I don't. I think. I mean, I'm sure you're right that the script for Sicario I, Two is is worse, but I mean, 
Villeneuve elevated that movie beyond its script. And my guess is he cut a lot out of the script and did a lot, did a lot different. Um, But sorry, go ahead. I I totally agree. And I think, I think he's a, a a fascinating director. I I would love to do a retrospective on, on his movies. Um, But I think it's, I think it's, I think it's twofold. I think you're absolutely right with that. And I think, you know, a better director could have, could have elevated maybe this movie, but there was less to elevate in the original, if that makes sense, than there was to this. Like this would have been, somebody would have really had their work cut out for them to, to do something transcendent with the day of the Soldado. Like I, you know, I think the, the talent of the director, um, it pales in comparison to um, Villeneuve's that in this movie, but you know, and we can continue to to discuss that for sure. But I think it's going to come back to the same thing: is that we're, the first one had a better director and a better cinematographer, um, and ultimately, I think it had a better script. And here, it would have been I we, I could um, Salima could have been you know Paul Thomas Anderson or Steven Spielberg, and and I don't think that he could have turned this script into something good but all right here's the question for you is why do you think the filmmakers decided to make this movie i I, mean i i have an i have a like a reason i think that like benicio del toro's character especially was so interesting that it almost warranted like making another movie to to see what they could do with that character but that's just a a stab in the dark as to what what motivated them yeah, no, I'm looking. It didn't. The original didn't really do very well. It, it did okay. I mean, um, 80, 84 million worldwide. Yeah, that's not great. It's definitely not great. Yeah. And in Jeremy, you're absolutely right about the character. Like, I think you, when you, the first time I actually heard about Sicario being good, you you had texted me about his performance, Del Toro's performance, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. I haven't really even heard anything about this movie, and then um, I saw it. I think on video and was blown away, but. Um, I don't know. I think it has a lot to do with maybe the studio. Um, it's Lionsgate, which I think is owned by Universal or somebody. But you know, they're a they're a small studio. They don't have a lot of properties, and um, you know, it kind of makes sense that they. And it, you can kind of tell with the way, the way it, like with the way the the production has been handled, and it's like gone over a couple different titles and the nature of the project. And yeah, I mean, I think it, it's sort of from, from the behind the scenes perspective feels a little amateurish. I think, um, I don't know that a more established studio would make a sequel to Sicario. Um, but I don't know. Uh, I think, yeah, I just, I, maybe we should get more in depth into the movie. Um, yeah, I think so too. But I mean, I, I just quickly, I like Jeremy's point there. Like, I think, you know, Alejandro is an interesting character. And because you have the same writer, you have Taylor Sheridan, I can see him wanting to explore, you know, that character some more. And, you know, he went and, and wrote a script. And he's, I mean, he's done okay. With, I mean, he does, he sort of uh, acts as kind of a character actor in a lot of things. So he's around. But he wrote that movie Wind River. I don't know if either of you guys saw that. Yeah, he directed uh, it, it and, too. He also uh, wrote Hell or High Water, which you know, we talked about a few weeks, it was uh, one of Brantley's top of the decade. It was a, it was a really good movie. So it's a guy who's put out some good scripts. I mean, you look at Sicario, Hell High Water, and Wind River, one, two, three, and then he comes to, if you want to say, he goes to the studio and says, hey, I got a sequel to Sicario. It's going to focus a little bit more on uh, Alejandro. And they're going to say, yeah, you know, that was a good character. Like, this is something we can, 
explore. I, I would argue that the um, Hell or High Water and Wind River are both a little more... Um, they're not quite as subtle as Sicario. They aren't quite as deft at uh, handling that material so well. And um, I like those two movies. I think they they were well done. I don't think they are anywhere near the level of Sicario. And I think that's because they linger on these more sort of, um, you know, conspicuously written moments um, more than Sicario does. I think Sicario kind of, and I agree with that, that, that I think that same problem um, affects Day of the Soldado. Like you, where Sicario left a lot of things just unexplained, Soldado, you know, hammers the audience home and makes oh, yeah. sure you understand things. But at the same time, there was this sort of complicated plot that was very difficult to understand what was happening. But I guess I mean more of the sort of the um, emotional moments, more of the the character moments were um, very kind of heavily handed explained to us. Um, well, and that, that could be where the director comes in. You know, that's, yeah. uh, you know, a director reads that script or sees it play out on set and says, you know, let's, let's leave that line out or let's, let's do this a little differently. Let's use visuals or, and you know, that that's goes back to your point. Like that could, that could be where uh, the original Sicario was elevated by the direction. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the sort of the plot details of this movie a little bit more because I think they can much, kind of how much reveal time do you have? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it, I think <laughs> it, they can they can reveal a little bit of what we're sort of uh having issues with um with this movie. Um because like Benicio del Toro's character in this um gets paid a visit from Josh Brolin and they basically decide they want to start a um, drug war between cartels in Mexico. And their way to do that is to um, capture the daughter of one of the uh, leaders of the Mexican cartel. Of course, it's the same guy who had killed Benicio del Toro's family. Um, well, I thought we got solved that problem I in thought, the first one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I thought he did, but apparently not. We And then there you go. There's There's an example of like, all right, so we need to move this plot forward, but let's cut and paste from the old one. And, you know, that's e- it's easier to do it that way than to try to come up with a completely different thing. And then you have the the 16-year-old girl um, who I, I found, like, the beginning of that pretty interesting, but I thought it was going to go... I thought that relationship between Del Toro and the young girl was going to sort of form into something... Uh, a little deeper or with some sort of payoff or or something, but that sort of just decided to fizzle out in the end, too. And, and let's not forget, this is all to solve the problem of uh, Islamic fundamentalists being right, right. That was the order to yeah. blow, you know, suicide bomb grocery stores, and which was like the first 20 minutes of the movie. Right, right. And that was such a random sort of... But, it felt like okay, we want to address all these sort of issues. Let's put a little, let's let's sprinkle a little something here with Islamic terrorists, I and mean, then we want the border issues. Let's sprinkle something in over there. Yeah, I found the first like, especially the first like ten, fifteen, twenty minutes of this movie like really tone deaf and borderline inappropriate. Like, because it was well, so I, poorly I, I done. Agree. And I agree. I like, agree. I thought they would. Uh, I I thought that was for a reason, but. I do too, but they did yeah. it so poorly that it became like almost insulting to watch. Um, 
But Chapin, you had another question. I don't know if it will lead us into more of this discussion on this movie now. Well, I just had, a, I think, an example. Jeremy, you brought up the the the, the drug dealer's uh, young daughter being introduced, and I agree there was some interesting elements of her. You know, the, the and they kind of it's interesting because they they kind of you know they they pass over those interesting details very quickly. Like she lives by herself in Mexico City yeah. in a giant mansion, but that's really just like a throwaway line. But I think her introduction is a good example of what distinguish like what makes this movie so much different than Sicario. Like let's just take the first the the, the two female leads of these two movies. The first time you see this young uh, teenage girl in Sicario de Soldado, she's getting in a fight with another girl at, at a school um, and she gets in trouble from her, uh, from the principal. And she, and I think the uh, takeaway is she's very tough and self-assured. Um, and the scene has nothing to do with the movie. It's like 10 minutes lost. Right? Um, right. First time you meet Emily Blunt's character in Sicario, it's like this wonderful shot of her eyes closed in the, in that, in that kind of armored personnel carrier about to do a raid that then leads to the entire plot of the movie. So, and Villeneuve kind of just tells that story so quickly and he does it in shots instead of, you know, he shows you instead of telling you, you see, she's focused, but she's nervous. She's got that exchange with Daniel Kaluuya. They're just their eyes. And you can just, you can just tell so much from her from that, you know, even, and then as you continue through that, that opening um, scene, she then, you know, is attacked and she kills one of the drug dealers. And I mean, it's just the, it's just so much, it's, it, 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 it's done so much more efficiently um, yeah, that's a good it's a good example because like you said with the younger girl in in um in this movie it's like what was the point of showing that she's tough and that she's independent and uh can do what she wants because that never plays back Yeah, she never was into anymore. It, yeah. No. yeah, into it because she obviously gets in way over her head for a 16-year-old uh, girl. Yeah, I was going to say you can't really blame her. <laughs> you can't blame her, but at the same time what was the point of doing that scene at the beginning? What what are we trying to accomplish here yeah yeah exactly well i thought i thought that scene was set up to show us that she everybody knew that she had a powerful father and so nobody's like she wasn't going to get expelled or but we knew that i mean yeah we don't need a drug cartel we don't need that yeah Yeah. right um but yeah so it but you guys made a good point that the the story with Benicio del Toro and this girl disappears and and sort of doesn't go anywhere but that happens with every single storyline in this movie and like the attempt was made for like each storyline to be an impetus for the next like storyline that comes in which is sort of basic storytelling but like it never works none of the storylines end up really resolved like there's you have so little motivation for some of the the characters and like it's just it's so jumpy like you have their their plan to start a drug war doesn't happen so now they have a new plan to get out of mexico but that doesn't isn't allowed so now they have to have a new plan to get rid of the girl in benicio del toro and it's just like it's such it's like they kept starting the movie over again it was like a you know it kept getting stuck and they just had to like try a different path yeah no i agree i think that's a good way to put it and um just a little weird little side note. What do you guys think about Catherine Keener in this? I hated her. I hate right? her. I don't, she I don't know was why so she's bad in it. it. She was she was I mean, another example of what I was saying with Josh Brolin. It's like these like weird sinister characters that are like supposedly the good guys, but like they have this like undertone of like of evil 
in everything they're saying, but there's no reason for that to be. Yeah, I mean, I think her characters. I, I, she also had the, uh, you know, the difficult task of I think working with probably the worst dialogue and the worst character development of, of the movie. With, maybe with the exception of Matthew Modine's character, but those two characters are great examples of like why this is a worst movie. Like this, it just they, they're there for you know expository reasons only, um, and f- you know for some reason, you know it, it just it is her all of her scenes. And the, those with Matthew Modine were just were just so, um, I don't know I don't know what the word is like just so simple and, and not and not even simple they were just they were like, I, there was no just depth to them they they had so, they had so they were they were just there to explain things and that that like that scene with uh, with Matthew Modine um, on the teleconference on the big plasma TV like just stupid sort of silly moments where we're just just there to explain things and he's got like secretary of state you know on his <laughs> chiron on this like i, I- chat it was just ridiculous yeah. like um, they don't know who they're talking to right. oh, oh just in case i mean and and that was what was interesting about sicario where all these forces all you know working behind the scenes and they never knew if they were you know what they were doing was legal or not and they were sort of they were sort of walking the line between illegal and legal and, and all these things. And that's what Emily Blunt's you find out Emily Blunt's character was there for. But in this one, it was so clearly explained to us that there was nothing to be interested in. It was just, it was over before it began. Like you said, Lee. Yeah. And I feel like it was a lot of excuses to like show off, you know, some, and we can talk about the fucking show off what? Stupid, what are they showing off? No, show off the the. This is what I'm getting to the the stupid shit like Benicio del Toro firing his pistol in the middle of the street that shows up in all the trailers that is like all With of a sudden finger. this guy's a freaking superhero and like but they want to be able to have a reason for it so they kind of add this political element and just really kind of get it in there real quick so you're like okay here you go so but now now we've got a reason behind everything it, you know it's got. It's got the movie's got backbone. Let's get to this next shootout uh, mm-hmm. that we can do. That's that's really cool. And I just think, yeah, you know, I, I didn't even think it was cool. Like the scenes in the original Sicario, that, that scene when they're at the border, they're st- and they're stuck in the traffic in the it's shootout. So good. That, in the, the shootout. What I was talking about with suspense is amazing. Tension, but tension. not even not even that. Yeah. Not even the suspense and tension, which is amazing. But the the way how the, how quickly that shootout work like ends up happening, and then like the. The literal, the copy and paste version of of that in this one is when the you know they get they drop the helicopter in front of the truck and get out and then just kill everybody there. Yeah, I mean, like it it, it looks cool on paper, right? Like, oh yeah, cool. We'll have these two Blackhawks chase these guys down on this road in Mexico. Uh, But then, yeah, it's just it's just the handling of the footage. It doesn't have the weight and the suspense of it, and. The the moments in Sicario they're they're so explosive and shocking in a way that the but they're sh- they're short you know there's really not that much screen time also, of violence and they're, they're so grounded. they have so much weight yeah they're grounded in reality and they have this they have suspense and weight behind it and they build to these moments and they're so it's so well done but these and, and on this case it was just like violence for violence like here's another action scene let's do another action scene because it's cool and. Um, yeah, and that's that's exactly my point. And about they just all they wanted to do was have those scenes, but to you know their attempt in giving the movie some some backbone and purpose and motivation was these these Matthew Modine and Catherine Keener characters that just like give you these you know political agendas that just it, for 
it made no sense and didn't work and it just it made everything just so so much less interesting yeah and i think that that helicopter scene's a good example in comparison to the border scene because uh like you said chapin it, it sounds good on paper but really here we go again what were the stakes i mean like you you have a helicopter chasing two or two helicopters chasing two trucks and who like we know who's gonna win that right like there's no there's no stakes there um whereas that border scene in the first sicario you have all these civilians involved you have um you don't necessarily know who's gonna win that and you know what's at stake there it's just i don't know and what i thought was kind of cool about that scene too was when uh alejandro picks out that the car the first car mm-hmm. that he knows is a threat like right. it as shows an audience his... you don't even really know what he saw that that but you trust him and you, you, you do because you know he's good job. at his job exactly yep. which we're going to get into with our top five and that's and that's what's so brilliant about it you're like okay that's he figured it out like and he's right and you know it's just it's so it's it, you guys brought up the tension in that scene which is great but like I just think the the action scenes in the original are so much more motivated and as a result, more interesting. Yeah. I think, um, I, I, another point out, I, you know, I, I really, I really like movies like this. I think out of, of the three of us, I, I, I am probably the biggest fan of these kind of, you know, violent, realistic action movies. Um, and, but that sort of explains my love for Michael Mann, which I think, you know, you see a lot of his, hand a lot of his influence in these movies um but like jeremy you brought up a point i don't remember what it was it was a couple of podcasts ago when you brought up the word authentic and i think that's a great a great word because we've been circling this like you know it's not really realism we're not really talking about realism we're not talking about like you know a documentary here but we're talking about like just the feeling that something is authentic right that's something oh, like feels... especially authentic to itself into the world it's created yeah exactly and I felt that about Sicario. I felt like I was watching something that 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 felt you know emotionally authentic and and had just um, just some you know some weight to it. And I just didn't feel that here. And I'm sure like all, everything they were doing on screen was 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 you know realistic or whatever. But it just didn't feel authentic. It didn't feel exactly what you said authentic to what it was. What it would or at least its source material was Sicario. Um, right. And I I think when you guys brought up the 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 uh, idea of this being this movie being a little tone deaf and i think it had the unfortunate um uh circumstance of going into production right before the election <laughs> um and it does it does feel like a movie that is not really aware of the the times um and i you know i'm not going to fault it for that i don't really care one way or the other about i don't think movies need to reflect politics necessarily but this does feel like <laughs> but this movie really tries to though that's the like they, it, know, it reflects a different time in politics, I think. I think it, it's try, it, like you could tell that it went into production before the election. Yeah, um, I mean, I think it's kind of, I don't know, not that this movie would have been any better with um, Emily Blunt's uh, character Kate, but I, I do think it's, it's interesting to like. I mean, and I think those, the, the, she was a really interesting character, but maybe um, Alejandro and. Matt Graver were the guys who you would consider to you you would want to see where they were going you know maybe their their story may maybe had more depth to it than hers but I mean she really was that the sort of the anchor of that movie um and it's hard well, she's to, also the moral compass of that movie which yeah. this movie tried to 
have Benicio del Toro sort of turn into. Uh, but yeah, that didn't it, it, work. It was it was missing, and I think you know, and that's a, a big piece because you know you open a movie with a terrorist attack, which you know, everything aside is I think a really compelling way to open a movie. Sure. Um, and it's unfortunate that they couldn't you know write that into the script well enough because it became so convoluted. Like, like how can we have this happen and tie it back to the Mexican border? Um, so we can get these same characters involved, but you know that's a compelling way to open the movie. But you know if you have no, you know, character that you can sort of be behind as that moral compass of the movie, then you know you have no one to root for. Like as you know, as cool as Alejandro and Matt Graver are, and and Jeffrey Donovan, I liked especially in the first one, but I like him in both these movies. And you know it's kind of a cool um, group of characters, but you just you know you don't particularly root for them. No, and and I think yeah, it, you're absolutely right. I totally agree with that. I think another important point is just another example of how the how things are done poorly. You you really you you come to kind of root for Alejandro in the first movie because he shows you he shows affection for um Kate in a in a strange way. Like it's very subtle and he obviously like shoots her at one point and you know puts a yeah. gun to her to her head a couple of times but he could have killed her he could like we all know that he, yeah he definitely could have but he has affection for her and we at the end find out why um but his affection for the little girl in this one which is again kind of an unoriginal idea it's a little bit of a copy it's for, it's for the same reason um that he felt it for kate is just explained to you it's not shown. It's not earned. It's just told to you. He just explains yeah. to her why and, he feels and that. And you learn that his daughter was deaf in the worst imaginable way. Like he just, yeah. They that literally like a different How do you movie? know sign language? <laughs> yeah, that seems uh. like right. That seems like it, it was a different movie and a different character in a different time. It just it it didn't seem to even as convoluted as this movie was with everything that seemed to stick out to me more than anything else as far as just the tonal and character shift yeah well here's something that and this will be a spoiler element of this episode so if you haven't seen um this movie and and don't want to hear any spoilers you can skip over this because there was a moment in this movie where i actually thought it came back around and was going to win me over because you had that character shift in uh alejandro um, he's looking after this girl. I think he feels an obligation to take care of her. He's sort of, for the first time probably ever in his life, he sort of abandons his duty to do what he feels is right by bringing her back to the States. Um, but then he gets shot in the head. And <laughs> you're, no, and you're, and you're led to believe that he's dead. And I actually thought that that was smart. And I'm like, this is, you know, this is the world that these people live in. And in that scenario, he would have been killed and he would have been dead. But then it turns out that he just got shot through the mouth and he survives, you know, like the badass that he is. And very quickly, all of a sudden, we flash forward to a year later um, after he takes care of a couple things. And, you know, now he's um, going to teach this other guy how to be a Sicario. <laughs> I, mean, um, I don't get it. But I thought when he got shot and, you know, those moments when you felt like he was dead... I thought that was smart because I thought here you have a character that they're they're trying to change and you know he's lived this certain way his whole life and this it's part of the how he's survived this world 
and now he's starting to change, and boom, he's dead. And I thought yeah, that was that sort of a... Yeah, that would have been... I think like that would have been good in the first reality. one. Like, if that happened in the first one, maybe. Well, but I like, agree. Why but why make the sequel and then kill him I, off? Uh, I don't know, because I think that's... You know, why kill the Han Solo in the f- sequel to Star Wars? Like, you know, I think you usher in maybe some you know, a new wave. You have the those younger kids that want to be Sicarios, which they're clearly going to do anyway, but now Alejandro's got to train them instead of somebody else. So I, I just thought it was a good effort, or would have been a good effort, um, in trying to, like, lend some resolution to these storylines, but it, they just were like, no, we can't do this. Yeah, it would have been a bold, a bold choice, I think, and it would have gotten credit for that, I think. Um, I just... I, 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 I think in, uh, you know if we're gonna g- go deeper into the movie, I think that that's, it, that shift when he does get shot does have like a it, it's it's a problem with the movie. Like that would have been an interesting sort of beginning to a second act. What they did do, which was he survives being shot in the jaw, climbs out of the desert in kind of an amazing way, which was an interesting. I thought that sequence was nice. I mean, he turns kind of into Superman, and, you know, throws a grenade into a <laughs> passing car. Um, but no, but that's the whole movie. That's that scene in the street when he's shooting the pistol with one finger, like a machine gun. Like, like he they turn him into this like su- like superhero. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think, I, but I guess I guess the my point is that it's it's almost like a it's it's something you would you would you feel like you would see in like a Cormac McCarthy novel or an adaptation or something, and uh, of this guy like taping his his face shut as he's got a hole in it, and he's you know, and surviving in the desert. But then you know, nothing comes of that. Like he doesn't do anything after escaping the desert. He, he yeah, finds the kid a year later. Yeah. Finds the kid and, 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 you know, presumably the finds the kid who shoots him and wants to trade him. Like, I mean, to what end? I mean, that, that, that's, yeah. that felt so, that felt so contrary to this character who the last time we saw him, you know, executed a drug dealer's kid. You would, uh, you would assume that he would, you know, maybe not have qualms about shooting the, the kid who shot him in the face. And also, um, how did how did he know that it was him that shot him? Because didn't he have the bag over his head? Good, yeah. good point. I just, I just thought of that. <laughs> and there's that too. So, I mean, I'm sure he, you know, being the character that he is, Alejandro found out who it was. I'm sure. And also, like, had we none of us seen Sicario, and we we watched this movie, I feel like we'd even be harsher on it in a weird way because. We we'd have no frame of reference for a lot of things. It would it would feel. It, it I feel like it would make an audience member feel pretty lost. Do you guys think that having if you had never seen the first Sicario, because there's at least enough there in like in the first one, because you can in your mind build up those characters to where you know you'd la- last let them off. Um, I don't know. It, it would. It, I feel like it would be a very confu- even more confusing movie had we not I seen mean, the first. I mean, if all things are equal and this movie is the exact same thing with no prequel to it, then yeah, there's some character elements that would be missing. But assuming there's no original, then there would be pieces in there that, that let us know who these characters are. So I don't know. It's hard to say because I do think I I, I disagree in the sense that I do think we're uh, even harder on this movie because the original was great and. You know, it does have a, at least the writer uh, be, is the same. Um, granted, much of the rest of the production team is different, and that clearly shows. Um, 
But I, I think what frustrates us is we've seen these characters and, you know, elements of this story done really, really well. And then to see it done in, you know, such a uh, poor fashion is frustrating. I mean, anytime I think we see something that could be, that we feel like could have been good, it's frustrating for us. Because, you know, whether it's that the pieces were there or they just missed because of this or that. And in this case, because we've seen the, you know, the material and the characters put something together that was much better. It's it's a it's a frustrating um, experience. Slower ahead. I can go slow ahead. Come on down and chump some of this shit. Well, I was I was listening to the podcast because somebody has to, and uh, <laughs> we. Uh, you're, we, so you're the one. <laughs> I'm the one. I downloaded it over and over again from different devices. Um, but Lee, like you had mentioned, like in the Jaws podcast, you're just like that Chief Brody. He's he's the hero, and he's the one everyone likes, and he's the, and then we also had that conversation about class systems and how Chief Brody is sort of represents the middle class and we all kind of agreed with you obviously he is the main character in the the film he's the one we follow but i started to think i'm like he is a very passive character he doesn't he he doesn't really make any decisions or move the plot forward in any like tangible way by or actionable way, which I thought was really interesting um, because every time he tries to make a decision, whether it's like close the beach and the mayor convinces him, you know, no, we got to keep it open. He goes, oh, okay. And even like, he's like telling his son, I want you, like, I want you out of the boat when he's just sitting at the the boat in the dock and the wife's like, uh, no, he's fine. He's, he could be in the boat. And then she has to be the one that tells him, no, get out of the boat. Or, um, yeah. Like, and like ultimately I, he wants to radio to get a bigger, to get a bigger, well, boat. he wants to get a bigger boat. Yeah. And then when he's on the boat, he, he basically is, you know, kind of pointless. He's just there, along for the ride. He's along for the ride with, um, with Hooper on his boat when they go and find Ben Gardner's um chewed up boat yeah and he's along for the ride on quint's boat and he's he can't like he can't really participate in any of the activities he can't help at all 
I just found it really interesting that like our main character, the guy we root for, the guy that uh, you know is, is most famous for this this film, is really um, a very passive character that kind of just goes along for the ride while everybody else is making decisions and turning the plot forward while he's not. I mean, well, he does really hire he does hire Quint. But you're right, though. He when he gets onto the boat, I mean, there is a little discussion about how Hooper has to sort of swallow his pride as a experienced seaman and you know take orders from Quint. But when Brody gets but at least on board, he can. He can. When Brody gets on board, he's like wearing that stupid life jacket, like he's like a kid. He's like, and he yeah. starts complaining. He, he he becomes a totally different character. So that's an interest, really interesting point. And that led me to like w- the one complaint that I thought about after the podcast was like. Is it right that Brody is the one who ends up killing the shark at the end of the day? Like exactly, because he doesn't do anything actionable up until that point, and then he just he happens to be the one that kills him. Yeah, it's a really interesting point. And there's two scenes that um sort of highlight that, and you know you talked about a lot of like little pieces, but the one in particular that comes to mind is when um uh Mrs. Kittner comes and slaps him in the face. Right um, again, which is always I've always thought it was weird. I was like, where did she just come from? Like, was the funeral just down the road, and then she came over to where the shark was caught? But anyway, um, she's coming to get the little kitten boy's body out of the shark so they can bury <laughs> <yeah>. him. <laughs> yeah. um, but even when they cut open the shark, he's not the one that cuts open the shark. He stands in the back and just holds his nose, right? While but while Hooper does it. An important line when after. Um, Mrs. Kittner tells him, you know, you knew there was a shark and you let him go swimming anyway. And now my boy is dead. She leaves and, and the mayor says, she's, um, sorry, Martin, she's wrong. And, and she is because he did try to close the beach and he wasn't going to let people go swimming. And the mayor actually has a moment where he is uh, like almost there ready to take the blame. And it's almost as if the easy way out of that situation is for Brody to say, no, she's not. And I've always kind of been I've that line has always been thought provoking for me because I kind of get inside his head. I'm like, okay, does he feel like he could have done more, which is probably the case in that situation, or is he just you know accepting blame because it that's you know it's almost like a he's martyring himself in a way. Like it's it's sort of an interesting um, idea to explore. Um, But yeah, you're absolutely right. Like this when they before they're uh, about to go off. Brody says, you know, it's my party, it's my charter. And Quint's just like, I don't care, it's my vessel. And he's like, okay. All right. And he's like, okay, there we go again. Yeah. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna lie down and let everyone else um make the decisions. And you don't really get that sense by the end of the movie, um, you know, for like the first how many ever times I've seen this movie, I didn't even have these thoughts. I didn't have these thoughts last week when we were having the discussion on Jaws. It was only after listening to it again. It sort of dawned on me that um, as and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but like the the screenwriter really made a main character that is, like I said, very passive and he doesn't make any or is able to make any decisions within the framework of the movie to move the story along. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think I definitely think it's interesting. But what I will say about him being the one that blows up the shark and why I think it sort of is important within the structure of the script that he does is, is from the very beginning, he is still the one that is trying to solve the problem. And 
whether he sort of passively steps aside from the people who are are taking over or not is is sort of irrelevant because it's more that he's he's just unqualified to do it and when all is said and done and everything has fallen apart it doesn't matter anymore if he's unqualified he is one he's back to where he was at square one he's the person that is going to try to fix this problem and now he has no choice but to do it in the only way that he can so i think i think it does still it's work. only it yeah but it's only after every other option is gone yeah you but know that's what i mean like, but i think th- but i think that's intentional i mean that's you literally see the boat is sinking it's pretty yeah. clear that every other option is gone i mean it's it's kill or be killed at that point yeah that that impudent um main male character is kind of a 70s trope you know and and i wonder if that had some kind of influence on on brody's character i i just watched um Close Encounters of the Third Kind last night uh, for the first time in a while. I you know, hadn't really remembered it much. And, you know, uh, Richard Dreyfuss' character in that movie is kind of is, is sort of similar. Like he he he's not. I mean, his he's got a motive. He's motivated, but it, but sort of the wrong way in a way. I mean, he's not he's not a hero in the traditional sense. Um, I think that that was like that was a that was a staple of the 70s. I mean, you had that in. Um, you know, uh, Bonnie and Clyde, I remember that was a big, uh, we studied that a little bit, um, in, in, um, uh, Warren Beatty's character. And I think that it's interesting. I, I remember the one moment I remember is, is when, uh, they find the, that initial shark, um, that it doesn't turn out to be the right one. And Brody's got that big smile on his face and he's caught right, up like, in, in the, in the excitement of everything. Um, and I think like in a, in a less sophisticated movie, he'd be, he'd be looking at the shark with, you know, with, a with a, 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 a sort of a, a, a the, the same way that um, Hooper was and and questioning it, um, but I think that idea that he's like, okay, finally this is solved and I can go back to being the sort of laid back cop I was before, um, is is a really a nice scene and it's, I'm glad you pointed that out, Jeremy. Oh man, yeah, hey, yeah, right there. I'm in the cab, man. I'm stuck. Thank you, thank you. Hey man, hey look. I gotta get out of here. What's up, man? What's going on? Look, I'm tied up in here. This guy tied me up, but he's up in this building wreaking havoc, doing some wild shit. I need to get out of here. Damn, you all tied up in there. Yeah, shit. I'm trapped, so on. let's get me out of here so we can call the cops. You give me a fuck one. Are you kidding me? Do I look like I'm kidding you? Listen, don't you see that my hands are tied to the steering wheel? I don't give a fuck what they're tied to. I'll fuck don't, you up. Don't shoot, man. Get your ass up. Yo, homie. Is that my briefcase? Is that your briefcase? Yeah, it is. Why? You want it back? I'm on your wallet. What else you got for me? Huh? our top five this week we're doing characters that are good at their jobs so guys i had a couple of sort of loose um criteria here i i tried to make sure that everybody on my list had a job that no one else sorry i wanted to make sure everybody on the list 
only had you know their job no one else had their same job like it was hard not to include two cops and i did but i feel Ah, like you'll see that they have two different jobs basically um and they had to really be they really had to have accomplished the the task they were set out to they were instructed to do so it wasn't like it couldn't be any like weird stuff like you know they had you know achieved emotional harmony or some bullshit like that they had to finish and do a good job at what they were assigned to do what are your guys's criteria uh, I I had this weird sort of generalized criteria as far as just like I had to feel like if these characters like if I was in the presence of these characters that they would take care of the situation, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. what whether whatever their job may be, you you could just have this sense that like okay, they're reliable. That they're reliable. They got this. They know what they're doing, and I'm kind of impressed. And that was really it. It was sort of vague, but that was it. Beautiful. Um, yeah, the only thing I had was I was trying to look for jobs that were not, like, normal jobs. Um, you know, I don't have any good teachers on here or anything like that. Like, I was looking for something that, you know, you don't, you're probably not going to run into somebody in your life that has this job. You know, it's possible. The jobs exist, but it's unlikely. So that's where I went Beautiful. Why don't you start us off, Lee? All right. So no, my number five is actually the first one that I thought of. Um, does It probably doesn't belong on the top five list, but it's fun. And uh, it's uh, Harry Stamper. Anyone? Yeah. Yeah. Arm- Armageddon. Armageddon. Um, and the line that comes to mind is when Billy Bob Thornton's like, look, it's the they're the best at what they do. And I'm like, you know what? He is. He's the best at what he does. He's an oil driller. So good at it that they're going to send him in space. So my number five. Beautiful. <laughs> My number five um, is Robin Williams' uh, character in Goodwill Hunting. I think he does a pretty Goodwill good job. Hunting, really yeah. honorable mention for me. Yeah. Um, here's this is one of one of my um, another kind of my, my my sort of half criteria was that they it, they kind of had to be they they may, may they may be a little overqualified for their positions and he certainly is. He's teaching at a city college, right. And but he's, he seems Bunker to be a great Hill. therapist. Yeah, Bunker Hill. So I think he did a great job. He cured him you know seems like it so that's my number five yeah robin williams actually is an honorable mention for me but for a different movie but uh it does seem like there's certain actors that play these sort of roles of of just being very competent people and and i feel like he's one of them uh my number five is weirdly the first one i thought of and lee lee will get this one um, it's not even an, I had, to, it took me a while even to look up what this actor's name was and find him in this movie, but it's Jeff Pearson as SS Han, I believe his name is in Changeling in Clint Eastwood's Changeling. He's the lawyer guy that comes oh, wow. in with, um, with Angel Angelina yep, Jolie yep, yep. and totally takes over the situation gets her out. I think of a mental hospital at that point. Um, he yeah, he's like amazing. Commands yeah. the scene in, and um, it's uh, weirdly the first first character I thought of when I thought of people that are good at the, good at their jobs. Because I remember he just like comes into that scene and he starts no, he like, owns yelling. It, yeah. He owns a, he starts yelling at people and he gets her out of there. And you feel so much better too. Like, I know you're like, around, oh, like, good. Oh, thank it God. will we be need... everything is going to be okay. Yeah, Who and plays you need him? that. Jeff Pearson. 
you would know him. You'd know his face if you saw it. Um, oh, he's not even listed on the on the on the on the main characters on Wikipedia. On IMDb. Oh, really? Uh, and on IMDb because it took me a little bit to get to oh, yeah, to that's figure not, him out. That's not the same Jeff Pearson that I just looked up. Was <laughs> it's a porno Jeff Pearson? No, some guy. He's also very good at his job. That Jeff Pearson. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Lee. What's your number four? All right, my number four. Uh, sorry to have to do this, guys, but I have a tie. Oh, um, it's the same actor in uh, back-to-back movies, um, Doctor Schultz and Hans Landa in Django and in Inglorious Bastards. Uh, um, yeah. I mean, I you know, I actually thought of um, Doctor Schultz in Django first. Um, not, I don't think he's a, I don't a particularly competent dentist, um, but he's a really good bounty hunter. Um, but then Hans Landa, of course, came to mind, and he's excellent at that job. Um, and they even pointed out in the movie. Beautiful. Hate putting Inglorious Bastards on a top five, but <laughs> um, my number four is Tanner Bolt, played by the brilliant director. Um, what's that guy's name? Uh, f- Tyler <laughs> <laughs> Tyler Perry in uh, what in Gone, oh, Girl. Gone Girl. Another another good lawyer. He's, wow, he's, yeah. he's a I good lawyer. I forgot he was even in that. That's a good pick, though. And yeah. and I will say he's he's overqualified in that he's re- representing this kind of this, you know, schmaltzy douchebag in Ben right. Affleck's character. But, uh, yeah, that's my number four. A great performance that, uh, you know, surprised the shit out of me. <laughs> well, I All can't right. imagine why. <laughs> uh, that was the one where he didn't wear a dress, right? <laughs> no, that, yeah, but they cut it out. Oh, good. He's like, I need a scene wearing a dress or I'm not doing <laughs> They're it. They're like, all right. Um, all right, so I'm going to raise your Armageddon, uh, Lee, and go with Ed Harris as Gene Oh, Kronz man, that's a in really good Apollo, pick. Apollo 13. That, that is an excellent pick. Gene that, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, they, I mean, talk about stakes. I mean, basically, if that guy's not good at his job, those those... Those guys don't land. Back and if he's on not the alive. cool, calm, collected that he is, like, mm-hmm. yeah, what? A, that's a great pick. That's yeah, and that's a better movie than Armageddon. Yeah, you're right. a little bit. Yeah, a little, little bit better. <laughs> um. All right. Uh, my number three. Let's see if you guys can pull this one. Uh, Roger Bartlett, otherwise known as Big X. Anybody? No, I. I don't, that's I've... Richard Attenborough in The Great Escape. Um. He's uh he's like the British officer that gets brought to the POW camp, um and is sort of an expert in escaping POW camps. Um, they tell him if he tries to escape again, they'll shoot him. Um, he gets in there, kind of takes uh takes like the status of where everything's at and who he's got, and puts everybody to work and kind of splits everybody up in teams and gets the gets the. When's escape the last running. time you saw that movie? Uh, it's been a long time. Um, I, mean, I actually. That's... I had to look up. I, I remember. I thought it was Richard Attenborough that was sort of like the escape, um, the escape artist. But I was getting him and Charles Bronson's character mixed up because I also thought that he was the one that was claustrophobic. But Charles Bronson's the one that gets claustrophobic. Um, mm. So I had to look into it a little bit. But I did. I knew he was kind of this guy that comes in and had escaped a ton of POW camps and was and kind of like rallies the troops and gets everything organized. Right. But he's a professional escaper from POW camps. That's uh that's a good pick. And we should also say we're doing this 
top five in honor of Benicio del Toro's character in yeah. Sicario. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> okay. All right. Oh, Who's up? Sorry. Is it my turn? Yeah. Um, my number three is, uh, I think he's a Lieutenant Willard from Apocalypse Now, played by Martin Sheen. Um, he definitely accomplishes the goal of exterminating uh, Colonel, what's his name, with extreme prejudice. Um, and basically everybody on the swift boat dies, but I don't think, um, I don't think they really, that wasn't their requirement that those guys survive. So <laughs> I think, uh, you did a good job. So you still think, yeah, you still think you did a good job. Yeah. Good as job. Um, all right. Well, my number three is literally a character that is just known for being good at his job. And, um, the other characters are, are, immediately relieved when they hear his name and it's harvey keitel as the wolf oh in Pulp Fiction. Yeah, another good one that's pretty good i mean that that character's based on being efficient yeah that's a great one too um all right my number two jeremy i was a little worried at first when you said that you're number five i would know what you were talking about that you were going to go this direction um because this comes from a movie that obviously holds a special place in in our hearts at Henry Gondorf from The Sting. Oh, yeah. That's, I wish I thought of that one. You know, I'd, uh, it, that one was a little tough because I don't, I mean, it's not really a job. Um, I mean, I suppose it is. You know, that's what they're doing to get right. paid. But And they're getting money um, for it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, and, you know, he's sort of down and out, but everybody knows him as one of the best uh, at running the big con. Um Right, and, and he's and literally he teaching off. somebody else during that movie how to yeah. do it to take over for him. See, some um, Luther said he could learn something from him. <laughs> yeah, that's a movie I want to see again. It's such a fun movie. I mean, even it if really it doesn't is. stand up as you know, kind of the great one that we've sort of uh, put it on a pedestal for. As it's, uh, it's such a fun movie. All right, Chapin, what do you got? Uh, my number two is it my turn? Okay. My number two is uh, Marge Genderson from Fargo. Yeah, that was another one I thought about. That's a good pick. Yeah, um, she's. I mean, no, that's what, a really good what pick. What she's what she's doing in Fargo or uh, Minnesota? Well, Fargo's in in uh, North Dakota, but whatever she's doing in her little small town of in Minnesota, I don't know. She's she's much smarter than that, and she figures out. Got to question your police work there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's my number two. God, what a good movie. All right, my number uh, my number two is uh, part of our series of documentaries, our movies too, and it's Euro from Euro Dreams of Sushi. Oh uh, wow, yeah, I still haven't seen that. I mean, a documentary based on how good a guy's at how good a guy is at his job. I mean, what else can you say? Yep. What's What's sort of amazing about that is like if you know how to make sushi, like if you're a sushi chef, like how do you become a better sushi? sushi chef like i can see how like a, a chef could be better than another chef but there's only so much you can do with sushi i feel like you'd think so but you, should, you think you, so you, but you there's like subtle gotta see that yeah. movie yeah and the, you have to pay like 300 dollars just to i mean he's probably he might be dead now but right so a little bit of a downer uh. <laughs> <laughs> um okay uh crap i it sucks that i went first because i was i had i have two sort of at my number one that i was gonna I, I assumed one of these would end up on your list, although they probably shouldn't end up on yours, Chapin, because they don't uh, 
complete the job. Um, should I just go with both, or should I pick one, guys? Are they two? Like, are they? Is there they would be an appropriate tie. Yeah, but okay, I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna go, go ahead with the and tie. Do your, just do go your with it. All right. So and, yeah, and then we'll, so my and top, then we'll judge you. My at. top seven. Complete my top seven. Uh, Vincent in collateral and Neil McCauley in heat. Yeah, I knew I knew Vincent was gonna come up for you. Neil McCauley, I think that's wrong. I think you should have had Vincent Hanna, um, because he ultimately wins and is better at his job. Also, he he gets killed by an, an inexperienced cab driver. Okay, but <laughs> is Vincent true. is amazing at his job. Um, and the reason I went with Neil to kind of counter your argument there for um for that movie is. The scene, two scenes actually. One, when um, Al Pacino's standing in that empty lot and says, oh boy, you know what they're looking at? These guys are good. And basically they kind of duped them into um, thinking they were planning their heist there. And then the other scene, when they're trying, they're about to do their the heist and he hears the guy drop something in the trailer and he's kind of like staring at him through the night vision goggles and then they walk and he has the discipline to walk um shows you how good he is at, at his job yeah uh that's interesting that you brought up that first scene because that was my scene for why vincent Hanna was going to be on my list he made my honorable mentions but like the, the the fact that he figures out that that's what they're doing right makes him a really good guy <laughs> i mean that could have been my my tie is those two characters in that movie it's interesting um, in the in those those sort of uh, male antagonists in Michael Mann movies, they are they sort of make one last big mistake against their discipline at the end of the day, right? Yeah. That, that, yeah. And um, his first version of that in Thief, the guy actually, I think he walks away clean. Um, but yeah, interesting. It was actually, I was actually close to calling this whole list my Michael Mann memorial list because you also have Al Pacino and the insider who's really good at his job. Mm-hmm. And so he definitely explores that uh, in a lot of his movies. He has stopped doing so. Yeah. All right, you're up, Chapin, right. number one. Okay, Chapin, number my one. number one is that this features an actor who should have appeared on this list many, many times, but he didn't, and that's Chief John Anderton in Minority Report, played by Tom Cruise. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's basically the only guy that can do that job. Once he leaves, once he's accused of a crime, which wasn't right. his fault, they are, like, lost without him. Um, the whole pre-crime division is lost without him, and he seems to be the only guy who can really make that work. Yeah, and Colin um, Farrell tries, but can't really do it. And... Mm-hmm. That's American what I like accent. about that movie is that Colin Farrell, like, at first you think is sort of the bad guy in that movie, but he's not at all. Like, he's sort of just kind of doing his job. Yeah. But he can't do it as well as... As uh, Tom Cruise, that's a good pick. Yeah, well, I love Anytime Minority. What an underrated movie! Up on yeah, a, yeah it, it's it's a great film. Maybe that'll come um, up on the Spielberg retrospective. No, oh, Jesus, <laughs> we got so it's many like, movies to watch. It's like eight episodes long. <laughs> All right. Um, so again, Lee, I'm going to raise your uh, tie here for my number one and have a three way. Oh, and I'm getting a threesome on the podcast. Yeah, we we gotta we always have to have threesome. All right, so my number one is Tommy Lee Jones in Men in Black, No Country for Old Men, and The Fugitive. Yeah, that's great. I, the I one know. thing I would argue with is No Country for Old Men. I mean, I think he's good at his job, but he doesn't ultimately Just, solve it at the end of the day, does yeah. he? I I had Anton Chigurh so. as an honorable mention. Um, 
Yeah, he's he's very efficient, at least. Um, yeah, no country for it's it's I don't know. It's more Tommy Lee to Tommy Lee Jones credit for No Country for Old Men than anything else because he's he has that air about him that's just very uh, calming and uh, you know like he he's gonna take care of it. So, but maybe that one doesn't fit in it as well as like Men in Black and The Fugitive do. All right, well that's gonna do it for this episode of the Get Your Film Fix podcast and. We're going to take some time again to just reinforce that we love to plug ourselves. And we'd hope that <laughs> if you're listening to this, you might just, you know, suggest to a friend who likes movies that they might like this podcast. Rate us. Give us a review. And you know what? We'd plug love, us too. Plug us too. Yeah. We would love, love, love to read one of your emails online. Um, some thoughts you have. Suggestions as to what, uh, you know, we should cover in, in the future. People have really liked these older movies we've been talking about and the podcast on them and so if you guys have any movies you want us to do from the past uh we're 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 happy to look into that and yeah we'd love to hear from you um so thank you for listening i'm staying i'm finishing my coffee enjoying my coffee